days and we read over little transition passages in the Bible. It's, it's funny, I was talking to one of you beforehand and I'm really looking forward to next week's message. <laughs> next week. Yeah, next week we're going to be talking about uh, Simeon's prophecy. It's the passage that follows the one that we're doing today. But I, I, as I was going through and studying in Luke chapter 2, I found Luke chapter 2, 21 to 24 in those verses. There's stuff I just can't fly over. I've got to deal with it. Um, this is one of the reasons why expository preaching, um, doing it verse by verse, can be good. See, it doesn't avoid the verses, the, the, the passages that we might not look at. It will deal with every one of them. As I go through Luke, I can't run from the hard verses. I can't run from the hard passages. I'm going to have to keep dealing with each and every one of them. And when you run across these little verses here, you might think, well, no big deal. Just another couple details about the narrative or about the story. But actually, there's some great lessons for us to learn from this little passage in the, in, in the Bible today. We're going to see real worship, true worship. What does it look like? We see it in verses 21 through 24. Worship is often associated with words, what we say or sign, or emotions, or feelings, or music, or going to church. But in fact, worship is best demonstrated with something very simple. Obedience. Now, I said it's simple, but it's not, is it? Obedience is very difficult. You know, we have this with our children, don't we? We tell our children to do something, they look at us, and they do the opposite. What are they basically saying? I don't like your authority. I don't want your authority in my life, and I want to do what I want to do. What is that? Sin, right? And so we talk about we want to worship God, but then we go about doing whatever we want to do all the time. We're told to do certain things to love our brethren, and then we love ourselves instead. Worship is best demonstrated when I'm not looking at you. <laughs> Did you hear me? Worship is best demonstrated when just your spouse or your children are watching you. How about this? Worship is best demonstrated when nobody's looking at you. When you're all alone and there's no accountability, do you obey then? That's worship. You honor God with obedience when nobody's looking. Here we have a case of Mary and Joseph. They're going to show us this genuine worship in their obedience. I would argue the greatest demonstration of worship here is obedience with a right attitude, a right heart. Many of us have been raised in Christian homes. 
And we've learned how to obey because we didn't want to get a spanking. And because we didn't want people to see us and say something bad about us. But I would suggest doing something if your heart's not in it is still wrong. And that's not worship either. Heart along with obedience is what's important. In our passage, our background, we've already seen outward expressions of worship. Over the last two weeks, we've seen the good news is proclaimed about Jesus. That Jesus is here. Then we saw the response to this good news. We saw the angels, remember? The army of God. And here we see, over the last two weeks, this response. There's two great ways that we saw it. First, we saw it in heavenly worship. And then we saw it in earthly worship. Again, responses are great with words, but what do actions look like? Actions are a demonstration of what your heart is about. We see this best in our passage. When we, are, when we truly understand who Jesus is and what he's done, we will want to share him with others. Okay? So let's look at our passage. Look at Luke chapter 2. Everybody, in your Bibles, Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 24. Let's see if I can get on the same page. Here we go. You ready? And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's pray. Father, this is the passage that you've given us today to look at. We pray that we will understand it and that we will apply it to our lives, that your spirit will work in our hearts, and that we will respond in obedience also. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word. We thank you most of all for Christ Jesus, the good news that we all want to serve. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. All right. Now today in our passage, we see true worship on display in the lives of Mary and Joseph. In our passage, we're going to look at three acts of obedience. Three acts of obedience. First, I want you to notice, obedience that glorifies Jesus. Obedience that glorifies Jesus. We see this in verse 21. And when eight days had passed, before his circumcision... His name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, like John the Baptist was named on the eighth day, Jesus was also named on the eighth day. That was the same day that he would get circumcised. 
This was the Jewish tradition to name the baby on that day, the eighth day. But unlike John, his name had great significance. That is Jesus' name. The name Jesus means God saves. God saves. This was a greatly significant name. And one, he would be one who would save his people from their sins. So in this case, Mary and Joseph obeyed, did what the angel told them, and it exalted Christ in their obedience. Because notice in Matthew 1.21, it says this. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So when Mary and Joseph obeyed the angel's words, recorded in Luke 1.31, they glorified and exalted Jesus. In this case, God used Mary and Joseph to exalt his son through their obedience. Now you say, okay, no big deal. No, it's a big deal. Let me ask you a question. Do you exalt Jesus with what you do? Or do you exalt yourself with what you do? I, I cannot stress this so enough. How often do we do things for the show of others? For people to look at us and go, you did something great. Way to go. You worked hard. Way to go. You did good. How often do we do it for the approval of man and to exalt ourselves? I have to ask you a question. When you were in school, some of you are still in school, but when you were in school, why did you work hard to do good on the test? What was the purpose of doing it? Was it to get a good grade? Was it to get an attaboy, somebody to pat you on the back? Way to go, you did it. Or was it to exalt Jesus Christ? To lift him up? That means that if your grade was a C... And you wanted an A, and you still did it for his glory and his exaltation, you would be okay with it. You'd be completely satisfied. But if it was a C, and you wanted an A, and you wanted people to say, you are good, then you missed the whole point. Look, we talk so much in our circles about obedience we talk about it all the time. But ultimately, it should be about obeying to honor Christ. Not obeying to get love from other people or pat on the back. Mary and Joseph, ultimately, God used to exalt their son, the son, Jesus, with their obedience. We have opportunities like that, too. When you evangelize, we were talking about this in, on Grace on Campus Thursday night. Evangelism. What keeps us from doing it? Why, do we, why are we afraid to tell other people about Jesus? What is the reason? 
when we boiled it all down in our discussion, it came down to one main thing. Fear of man. Afraid of man. Afraid that somebody's going to reject you. Afraid that somebody's going to say no, or they'll ask a question that you can't answer. But ultimately, this fear of man is keeping us from obeying God. Well, let me ask you a question. If you were really good at it, and every time you talked, you always had an answer, would you say, okay, I want to do this a lot because I'm really good at it, and people will notice that I'm really good at evangelizing? That would be wrong too, right? Some people, it's amazing. (laughs) I've heard stories of evangelists. Great evangelists in the old days that drew great crowds. And so everybody wanted to go and see this evangelist that drew a great crowd. And pride got into their hearts. I'm good at this, so let's do this. I'm great at sharing the gospel. I'm obeying and people like it, and I want to do it because people like it. That misses the point too. What is the heart doing? Is it about exaltation of Jesus? Or is it about exalting ourselves? Look, that's the same with me. Even when I'm up here preaching, if it's about you coming up to me and saying, way to go, you did a good job, I've blown it. If I'm up here to get your approval, I've blown it. I should be only about Christ and exalting Him. That's obedience with the right attitude that glorifies Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, I see this in Corey Tinboom's life. You heard of Corey Tinboom? We read a story about Corey Tinboom. She was a lady, Corey Tinboom. Uh, you might not spell it right. It's all right. We'll just call her Corey. <laughs> Corey. She helped to rescue Jews from Nazi Germany. And she was taken captive for rescuing Jews and keeping them from going to the concentration camp. And she was, she was taken, and in the process, the Nazis sent her to one of these concentration camps. I marveled in this book about her concept of obeying God and seeking Him and reading His Word and sharing the gospel in the worst of circumstances. One of the circumstances was is that there were lice all in the room, the building that she was in. They were everywhere, crawling all over, all the people. Now, she and her sister worshipped God and thanked God for being in that lice-infested concentration camp room. How could she do this? The answer was she got to share the gospel in that place. And it was about Christ. It wasn't about her comfort. And you know the wildest thing? She said this. She made this statement. I'm thankful for the lice. Why? Because the the the, uh, the, uh, the 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 guards, the Nazi guards, wouldn't come into her place. 
because of the lice were so bad. So everybody got to share the gospel in there free with nobody coming in. So they thanked the Lord for the lice. Now what is that? That's obedience with a heart that wants to exalt Jesus. Not with a heart that's about themselves. It's about exalting Christ. That's what Mary and Joseph here appear to be all about. Exalting their Savior and exalting God. And they obey. So, first we see obedience that glorifies Jesus. Second, we see obedience to the Word of God. We see this in verses 22 and 23. Look in your Bibles. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Joseph and Mary demonstrate obedience to the word of God in all three acts. They obey the word. First we saw that they obeyed what the angel said to do. The angel told them to do what? Name him Jesus. What did they do? Named him Jesus. Very important. Second we saw that they brought Jesus up. And this was to obey Exodus 13, 2 and 12. Exodus 13, 2 and 12. It says there in the law of Moses. Set apart for me every firstborn. The first offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast, it belongs to me. This child belongs to God. This was in the law, and they were obeying this. And then in Exodus 13, 12, it says it again. Talking to the people, Moses said, You shall devote the Lord to the Lord, the first offspring of every womb, and the first offspring of every beast. That you own. The males belong to the Lord. So, what were Mary and Joseph doing? They were doing exactly what God said to do. They were obeying the word. They were doing what God told them to do. They were a part of Israel, and the law that God gave to Moses was for Israel, and they were obeying it. Look, folks, again, obedience of the word is important. It's not just a side note. The idea here is out of praise to God, the people of Israel are supposed to obey him or worship him by obeying what he says. When he delivered them, they were supposed to obey him. And this is what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were obeying God. Now I want you to notice, obedience to the word reveals what a person's heart is all about. You want to know what you're all about. You want to look inside and see what your heart's all about. See who you are. Then how do you respond to the Word of God? What do you do for it, with it? Is it just another old book? Or is it what I want to know and obey? You look inside the heart. That determines whether or not you're a genuine believer or not. Now... It's important to note, the concept of presenting the firstborn does not appear 
to be followed by most of the people during Mary and Joseph's day. Matter of fact, mostly or only the Levites, the priests, would bring their children, their firstborn boys. But Mary and Joseph, even though they were of a different tribe, still brought him in obedience to the, almost to the letter here of, of Exodus 13 2. So, now, excuse me, question. Does this mean we should do it? How many in, you, in here have brought your firstborn child to Jerusalem and presented them to the king or to the priest? Nobody. You disobedient people, you're in trouble. No. No. This was the law given from Moses to Israel, correct? There is a difference. <laughs> There is a distinction. You read the law of Moses, and guess what you're going to find? There's a lot of things we don't do. Now, does that mean we throw it out? No. There's principles. Now, this is a very hard word. A principle that underlies most of, or if not all, of the Old Testament law. There's a concept that's going underneath all of these laws. God gave these laws to protect them and to show them what they needed and to show them what they should do to honor him in obedience. The concept underneath here is that the children are God's. That's the principle that underlies that, that these children, especially your firstborn, you're supposed to, it's supposed to be God's. It's God's child. Present them. Now, in the New Testament, the bar gets raised higher. I would suggest all of our children are the Lord's. If you are a born-again believer, that concept now permeates everything. How about this? It goes past your children to your pocketbook. Every dime you spend is his. Your house, it's his. Your car, it's his. Everything you own is his. So in effect, we say we devote and give everything to God. Have you ever had this happen to you? We've had a couple of people in here get something stolen from you. Just a couple of weeks ago, Omar got his computer stole out here. Outside, somebody broke the window and stole his computer during church service. If you have a proper perspective that everything is of mine is really God's, those kind of flexibilities will go really easy. You'll, 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 you'll be able to handle it a lot easier. Why? Because you'll realize something very important. That was God's computer. God will take care of that person if he wants to. It's not mine. It's his. These are my children. But no, they're his children. God will take care of them. Now, that doesn't mean shirk the responsibility. 
don't take care of them. It means the opposite. This is God's child. I saw my son walk out at the beginning of the service. I was thinking, where's he going? Where's he going? I hope he stays and listens because he's God's child. It's his. And it's my responsibility as a daddy to tell him about Christ because it's his. Everything I own is his. How are you doing with God's possessions? Are they devoted to him? Are you obeying him and honoring the word by presenting everything to them? Same thing with immorality. Why immorality? Why avoid immorality? Well, because our body is what? Not our own. This is not our body. It's God's body. And the person that we may do immorality with is God's child too, in a sense. And what we do with them is we're saying, God, I'm not going to present this one to you as holy. I'm going to run them down. See, that principle of presenting the child as dedicated to the Lord now goes to everything. And that's what the New Testament says. Do you obey that? Is everything God's? Even to the point of money. I'm telling you. I've had this discussion with Josh Cook lately. I'm, I'm the spender in the family. How many of you are spenders in the family? I like to spend money. I don't like to save money. Bad. I like to spend. Okay? I spend it a lot. Matter of fact, I bought a computer yesterday. I like to spend. Why? Well, if I see I have some money and I need something, I get it. Doesn't always, hey, I got money. God gave me the money. I can get it. Now, it goes really bad when you don't have the money. And you say, but I got a credit card, so get it. That's really, really bad. But my wife has done well at training me that the Bible says you're a slave to the debtor. That's what the Bible says. Obey the word. You're a slave to the debtor. Why put yourself in bondage to the debtor? Okay, but I'm not in debt. Why can't I just buy this chocolate shake if I want one, whenever I want one? Why not just pull into McDonald's and, man, I want, man, I want that and that and that and that. I'll have it all. I got the money. Answer, because my money is not mine. It's his. Obedience to the word, is everything his? Yeah. Every dime that you own is his. If you are a genuine believer, obedience is shown in how you spend your money, what you do with it. Everything, folks. Obedience to the word. Obedience, by the way, does not save us, but we are saved to obey. What we do by obeying the Lord doesn't get us right with God. But because we're right with God, we then want to obey Him. And we want to do what His Word says all the time. We should, right? And if we don't, something's going on with the heart. The heart's not changed, right? 
Ladies and gentlemen, get this. Genuine believers obey the Lord and obey his word. Notice John 3, 36. It's everywhere. You got your Bibles? Write them down or flip through with me. John 3, 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Wow, what does this mean, ladies and gentlemen? This means, listen closely, true belief is closely related to obedience. How many times have we said this? Oh, you got to hear it again. We all got to hear it. True belief, genuine belief, is closely related to obedience. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen the person come forward and say, Oh, I want to be a believer. I want to be a believer. I want to get baptized. I want to do this. I'm really, yes, this is good. And then, a month later, you can't find them. They're nowhere. They don't go to church. They're right back to doing what they've always done. There's no change. They don't obey. They just keep going. Well, that passage that we just showed you in 336 says, Obedience demonstrates whether the heart is really right. If not, then you're really not saved. Look, folks, that's hard to hear, but it's the truth. Again, I don't obey to get right with God. I'm right with God, so therefore I obey. Don't think that it's because of what I do that I'm saved. But because I'm saved, I want to obey, and I do. If you don't obey, if your heart is not out of obedience with the right attitude, then you're not saved. That's what the Bible says. Look. Hebrews 5, 8, it says, Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, Jesus, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal life. Who obey him? What does that mean? Those who are continuously obeying him. If you're not obeying him, you're not a believer. You don't have eternal life. Wow, that's profound stuff, isn't it? That eliminates a lot of confusion. How many of you have heard the, the, the concept, Christians are hypocrites? Christians are hypocrites. They're everywhere. Christians are hypocrites. You know why? Because they don't obey. Many of the ones that profess to be believers don't obey. And they're not even really believers. But they call themselves believers. And then all of us that love our Lord and want to obey Him are lumped in with them. And so people look at us and call us hypocrites. The Bible is very clear, folks. Very clear. Heart change 
means obedience to the Lord. If your life is not characterized by obedience, then you're not saved. I know it's hard to hear, but that's it. Jesus is the one and we obey, and he is our eternal life. 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, Who are chosen, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Why? To obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. You know, Ronaldo has been talking a lot about uh, the tongue in James, going through that. Uh, I don't know about you. Convicting words, but required words. <laughs> do we hear it and do we do it? As we go through in the Old Testament and the other class, you're probably going to hear lots more principles revealed there. Are you obeying the principles behind it or not? You say, wow, Mike, you're just going to run everybody in the whole building off. I hope not. Look, Jesus Christ is Lord. He died and rose from the dead to pay for your sin. And because he died and rose from the dead to pay for your sin, he's Lord you're right with him if you believe in him, so obey him. That's what you were made to do. 1 Peter 4:17, that's your worship. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Again, obedience to the good news. It's over and over. The unbeliever is called the one who does not obey the good news of God. Disobedient. Many of us have seen and heard those stories of people that have prayed a prayer and walked an aisle and then never seen them again. How many of you have seen those? How many of you have seen people walk forward at maybe a Billy Graham conference? You know? You have all, Billy Graham does that thing, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people come. Let me tell you, 12 men got saved, genuinely saved, and the world was rocked. Remember Pentecost? 12 men, the Holy Spirit comes on them, new covenant relationship, and what does the world, the world will never be the same. But we have crusades where thousands are coming forward and the word and the world looks no different. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Do you not agree? Everywhere you go, people say they're Christians, but there's no life change. None. I would suggest it's that some of the problem is here in America. Easy believism. I'm going to make you feel comfortable and everything's going to be easy, so come on. Everything's going to be easy. You know, when Jesus gave the gospel, it wasn't like that. Jesus said it this way. Unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, child... 
You have no part with me. Wow. That's different, isn't it? How many of you have heard that in the pulpit? Anybody heard that one? Well, maybe here. <laughs> maybe here. The reality is this, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to get this. Obedience demonstrates worship. Are you obeying him? At this point, you should be saying, you should all be saying, I obey, but not as much as I want to. Oh, God, I want to obey you more. I need you. Help me. Which brings us to the third act of obedience. Obedience that still recognizes our need. Now, this is interesting. When you're reading through verse 24, look at it. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the first time you read over this, you might think, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Why is this here? Was it a sacrifice because Jesus was brought and they had to make a sacrifice for Jesus? Actually, no. Guess who the sacrifice was for? Mary. Ooh. Boy, this puts a really hamper on the Roman Catholics saying that they don't that Mary didn't sin. Ooh. Because the fact of the matter is in Leviticus chapter 12. Look, in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 6 to 8, look at it, I'll paraphrase. When the days of purification are completed for a son or a daughter, it was either 33 days for a son or 66 days for a daughter. That's when the purification, after the birth, then they were, that's the time. Look what's supposed to happen. She shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb. Now, what's the lamb for? For a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. What? The woman is associated with being unclean and needing an offering. Now, you say, well, are we supposed to do that today? Am I supposed to bring a pigeon for my wife? Me and my wife, you know, you have the child... Got to go to the priest. Y'all haven't brought your pigeons lately. Where's the lamb? I'm hungry. I want some lamb. Where are they? No. But there is a principle underneath it. There's a principle that's laying underneath it. What is the principle? We're sinful. We're sinful people in light of a holy God. Blood is often associated with death. Death is associated with what? Sin. Why do we die? Because of sin. After the birth, the mother was supposed to do what? Bring this lamb. And if they were poor, guess what they were supposed to bring? Two turtle doves. Which is exactly what Mary and Joseph brought. They obeyed the law, recognizing what? They had a need. Oh, this is perfectly set up in the passage, beautifully. 
Obedience, obedience, obedience to the word. They do it. And I'm sitting here set, caught, telling you, you need to obey the word. You need to obey the word. You need to obey the word. And you're all going, I don't do it as much as I should. I don't obey as much as I should. I need to obey better. You have a need to. But there has been a sacrifice. One sacrifice that has been made. And it was the baby that they were holding in the arms. as That they went to present to the father. There's an amazing little picture here. There is one sacrifice that was made now. See, that baby grew up, didn't he? And what happened? He became the sacrifice for sin. We've been talking about obedience over and over and over. Three cases. Yet they still have a need of purification. And we do too. Our obedience still recognizes our neediness. We are in need. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10.10 says. Let's see if I can get there. By this will we have been made sanctified. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering. This is talking about the Old Testament priest. Ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But he, that is Jesus, having offering one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Oh, folks, I hope you understand. Listen, obedience, but recognizing our need and trusting in the completed work of Christ. This is just a concept that hardly anybody gets. (laughs) Very few people comprehend this concept. Obedience, yet still recognizing your need. And still trusting in Christ. I am convinced of this. How many of you ask the Lord to forgive you for sin? Everybody? Everybody? How many of you obey and then stumble and you say, God, please forgive me? Right? Everybody does it. Most of you do. Why does he forgive you? Why? Well, again, illustration, very important. If you did, if you, uh, if, if I, and I'm going to, we'll give a story here. If I came up and killed your son, did something horrific to him, got angry and wanted to get at you, and I killed him. And I went to the judge, and I said to the judge, Judge, forgive me. I messed up. I won't do it again. Please, just forgive me. Please, forgive me. And the judge looked down at me and said, Okay, you can go. No punishment. It's all right. I forgive you. 
What would you think of that judge? Man, you'd want to hang that judge. (laughs) You'd say, that judge is unrighteous. That's an unjust judge, right? Then what do you do when you say to God, please forgive me. Just forgive me. Please forgive me. Why should he forgive you? Why? Is he just or should he just let you go? I tried to obey, but I fell down again. You're a forgiving God. You're an unjust judge. What? No. He's just. Then what do we do? Back to the sacrifice. Back to Jesus. Back to the cross. See, God was just. And he judged the son to pay for your sin and my sin. He's just. I think we as Christians mess up. We forget the cross. We forget the gospel. We forget all that he's done for us. He died in our place. He took the judgment we deserve. Repentance means turning and committing and trusting in Jesus again. And then obeying him. Not just flippant, forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. No big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. Cost his son his life. In this case, it was pigeons. But that was all pointing forward to Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, biblical worship is obedience that exalts Jesus Christ. It's obedience to the word of God. It's obedience that recognizes our need of a savior all the time. We're needy people. What are you doing with your sin, folks? Listen. I think our biggest problem as believers is that we see our sin as no big deal. I think another huge problem is that we forget what our sin cost our Savior. We don't see it. We forget it. We need God to open our eyes again to the cross, don't we? How well did you obey this week? How many in here treated their spouse like Christ would treat the church, men, all week long? <laughs> See a couple of wives looking over at their husbands. <laughs> How many of us did that? How many of us 
raised our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. How many of them? How many of us, or were our children's just an inconvenience to us? How many of us in here honored God with our mouths and our our hands, as it may be, all week long? For honest, none of us did it all week long. How many of us were at the cross this week? Again, how many of us were there? It appears in Mary and Joseph in this little transition verses demonstrated obedience, understanding their need out of a love for God. We must too. Let's pray. Father.